Ah, good morning. Um, does anybody know what happens on November 1st? All right. Somebody pays attention to the calendar. That's incredible. Awesome. Um, All Saints Day is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, you the man. The reason All Saints Day is one of my favorite times of the year is because it's a day we celebrate on the calendar Christian history and what God has done in Christian history through individuals. And it started a little tradition last year that I want to continue uh, as long as the Lord will allow us that every Sunday following All Saints Day, I'm going to highlight a saint in Christian history and do a biography on them on Sunday mornings. And those of you who know me know I'm a teacher type person. I like to teach through the scriptures. And so for me to do something like this is sort of out of the ordinary. So if you think I'm being heretical for that, I apologize. I'm sorry. But uh, I think God shows much grace in his saints, and we'll, we'll see that this morning. But on the front end of that, I want you to see um, people that are real. You know, for us, we're going to look at George Mueller this morning, who's one of my heroes. Um, but I think one of the things we overlook sometimes is right here at home, God's using people here. And it's not, you know, yes, God uses George Mueller's, but God also uses people like this guy who we're going to talk to here for just a second. So uh, tell us your name. I know who you are, so I'm going to pretend like I don't know you. Um, tell me your name. Tom Adams. Tom Adams. Nice to meet you, Tom Adams. Um, Tom, where, where'd you go to college, man? I went to Duke University. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, were you in the military? Yes, I was. What branch? Was Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> Tally. We've got an Annapolis guy here, you know, it sort of has <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I love it. Tom, what was uh, what has been your profession? What did you what have you done? What have how have you made a living your whole life, man? Other than being good looking and, you know, people just throwing money at you and <laughs> primarily I was a contractor. You're not a contractor. Gotcha. Um what uh, what has happened in your life that's changed you? I mean, has there been a point in your life where something transformed you? Oh, yes. What happened? What has God done in you? It's been termed the God experience, but it was the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he has done mm. for me. And awesome. How does that affect how you approach life here? I mean, you okay, I'm a Christian, you're going to heaven, great. So what? What do you how does that affect life for you now? I mean, do you just set up every day and think oh, I'm going to heaven now? So you think there's something you ought to do with that? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. No, there definitely is something that I ought to do with it. Okay. And, uh, I, you know, I should hang my head that I haven't done mm. enough. Okay. Tell me about the YDC. Okay. Tell me tell me what YDC. that's at. What's the YDC? YDC is a youth detention for Samuels. It mm-hmm. stands for Youth Detention Center. Yeah. And it's where the incarcerated youth of Georgia are kept. Mm-hmm. Uh, some waiting for trial and some waiting or some doing their time. Mm-hmm. We have one of those right here yes, in Rome. Regional. Rome R-Y-D-C is Rome Regional Youth Detention Center. So are there kids there, not just for Roman Floyd County, but all over is northwest Georgia? Well, that's one. Yeah, this this facility, I think, was intended for um, for this area. But they have uh, space where mm. the kids are brought in from Savannah and wow. Griffin. And, uh, mm. I've talked with guys from Griffin and 
Yeah. And they're not pleased because they're away from home. Certainly. They're, they're you know, visitation. Yeah. Not yeah. Like they like. What are they in for? What are some things they've done? They're in for, for anything minor or fight in school will mm-hmm. we'll put you in the youth detention center. Mm-hmm. There are guys in there that are facing life. One guy I talked with, and you know, he's a friend of me. He's looking at uh, 20 to life hmm. for. Uh, for uh, yeah, not a pretty thing. Um, what do you get to do there? What What do you? How do you bring Jesus to those students? And by the way, youth detention center. We're not talking about 20 year olds. We're talking teenagers. Okay. Yeah, um, I think as young as eight. Sometimes they'll let up 20-year-olds. Okay. How do you bring them Jesus? How do you how do you take the transformation that God's brought about in you, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and make a difference right here in Rome at the Rome Youth Detention Center? I do it through a ministry called Break Free, which was started 22 years ago out of Powder Springs, Georgia. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know how far-reaching it is, but I know... The pastor that who heads it up, and there is a full-time mm-hmm. pastor who heads up the the Rome, Cobb, Pauling. I think that's it. Center. Gotcha. Those three, those three centers mm-hmm. might be a fourth. Mm-hmm. But I go in with others, Parker and y'all. Some of y'all might know Parker Aziz. He's the guy that really led me in. Mm-hmm. Here's this freshman at Florida who's on fire for these kids. <laughs> and he gave his presentation here that night. We had ministry night. And mm-hmm. um, I was real interested. I was busy Tuesday night when they go in, but it, God worked it out so I could, so I could go in Tuesday and switch yeah. ESL to Thursday. So wow. It, it was great. So um, do you get to take your Bible in there? Yeah, you can. Normally, there are different pods, so the younger guys are on one side and the older on the other, and we usually we usually split and go to the different pod. I really prefer the older guys. I, yeah. The, um, they're not enough workers. Yeah. Because uh, you're you're one or two on twenty two guys, and that's unwieldy. I'm better one on one or one on two. But yes, you you can take your take your Bible in. You just befriend these guys. You sit with them and mm-hmm. and, and get to know them. Yep. Uh, so how could you somebody? Can present, you can present the gospel. Yep. You know. How could somebody here help you? Say these guys sitting out here. It's an opportunity for us to engage our town. You could bring the good news. Okay, how could they help you? Different ways. Primarily, the mm-hmm. best way. Well, I shouldn't say the best, but the way that that I do, mm-hmm. and I go in on Tuesday nights. Get to know them. Mm-hmm. There are about 2,000 who go through the Rome RYDC. Mm. So that's 2,000 kids. Uh, 28,000 in total. 28,000. Wow. So there's a tremendous ministry. And if you're at all timid about giving the gospel, you won't be when you get in and you see these guys. Yeah. You want to bring them the hope. Mm. Mm. And that this ministry was set up to. To bring Christ to these guys who society 
has rejected, has cast off, mm -hmm. as have primarily most of their parents. Mm -hmm. they're, they're pain. Yep. They, and some of them, yep. there's one kid who's due to get out shortly. Mother doesn't want him back. Yeah. He has no place to go. He'll go to foster home. He'll, yeah. He'll go and into foster he's care. At the age where most yeah. foster parents don't want don't him. Don't want him. He's got, he's, his crime is sexual. Yep. Primarily, I think somewhere around 80% of their crimes are sexual. Yeah. This, this boys. Now, this is, this is boys and girls, too. Yeah. Uh, so, what they need is more workers to come in, like, on Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And you can come. You don't have to go through any sort of clearance just to see what it's like. But if your heart's set on it, then you go through a background check and mm -hmm. uh, an orientation. Yep. It's a way to serve. And then you go. Now, awesome. there are other ways mm -hmm. that um, the goal is for there to be enough people to have a relationship so when these kids come out, you can continue that relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And you can invite them to your church and... You can mentor them, yep. um, disciple them outside of the YBC. Other ways, and I, I, Chris, uh, I was going to talk to you about it, but basketball. They love for people to come in and play basketball. I challenged them last night. They said, Anybody like basketball? Anybody like basketball? Yeah. I know Chris can get a team up. <laughs> and you don't, all you have to do to do that is sign up. Yep. Then you could do uh, <coughs> what Emmett and and Jeremiah and Jesse and others and John did last night. They have Saturday night service mm -hmm. that is, rotates. Or is awesome. And, and Emmett and mm -hmm. Jeremiah spoke last night. Awesome. Well, Tom, it's very needed. What you do obviously is huge, and it is how we are going to bring the kingdom. It won't be, it won't be through a preacher going in and per se preaching to them, but it's going to be a relationship that people like you build with them over time. And when they get out of here, you continue that relationship, and you be an agent of bringing them into the kingdom. See, this is an example. You don't have to be George Mueller. You just have to simply want to love Jesus enough to be an agent of his to take him where the kingdom is not. And when you do that, God will use you to pull off George Mueller type life. And so, Tom, thank you, sir. Appreciate it, my man. Thank you. Now, 32% of the jail population in the United States is made up of former foster kids. Well, foster kids who end up going to jail as adults. Right here in our own county, there's an opportunity to make a difference. George Mueller saw an opportunity to make a difference. George Mueller was a kid who didn't have an easy background. George Mueller was a kid who didn't get raised with a silver spoon in his mouth and life was easy. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, George Mueller's life is what I think is a Psalm 71, verse 7 and 8. And you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. But Psalm 71 is a psalm David wrote later in his life. And he's an old man. 
And he's coming to the end of days and and he talks about the Lord being his refuge and his strength, his deliverer, a rock of refuge, a place he can continually come. God's given the command to save him. He says, you are my rock and my fortress. And then he cries out, rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I've leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continual of you. I have been as a portent. Anybody, students, paying attention? That's a word you don't understand. Thank you. Students, by the way, are supposed to raise their hand when I say a word. They don't know what it is. And so if you ever see a middle schooler or high schooler raising their hands, it's not because they're in spontaneous worship. It's probably just I said something they don't get. So they're like, "Eh." that means, that word is a word that means a sign, a display of something. David says here, I have been important to many, but you are my strong refuge. In other words, my life has been a display of you having to be my refuge, you having to be the rock that I can continually come to. My life has been a display of you and difficulty and you rescuing me and bringing me through difficulty. That was very much the life of George Mueller. You see, George Mueller was born in Kropenstadt, Germany, or Prussia, on September 27th, 1805. He died on March 10th, 1898, at the age of 92. Um, At the age of 14, his mother passed away. And as far as I can tell from anything I've read, he wrote uh, his own work called Dust and Ashes, um, which some people, like John Piper, call it boring. And I don't understand because sometimes Piper can get a little boring. So I don't know why he's calling anybody boring, but that's a whole different thing. I love Dust and Ashes. It's two volumes. That's long and it's laborious, but I'm fascinated with this guy's life. So it's just reading details of his life. But Mueller says there in his own work, he says in Dust and Ashes that on the day my mother died, I was half intoxicated at the age of 14, running around the streets of home. And as far as you can tell, he never mentions his mom again. So so the kid had a mom, apparently difficult home situation. He was half intoxicated on the day she died and apparently cared not even attend her funeral. Um, If if you have there on your, there's a sheet I put on your your chairs today. It's a little, there's a few typos on it because it's my work right here. It's a timeline of George Mueller's life. And uh, you can see on there some key dates in this man's life. Uh, But one of the things that happened to him, uh, at one point he was imprisoned. Uh, for thievery. And uh, and so he was put in prison. His father bailed him out, beat him real good, and uh, tried to correct him a little bit. His father wanted him to make a good living, so when he got to the proper age, his father sent him off to divinity school to earn a divinity degree. A divinity degree, because as a, as a pastor, you could make a good living. So his father wanted him to have some money, so he sent him off to divinity school. After having beat him for thievery, he sends him off to get a degree in theology so he can become a pastor and make a good living. And he goes there to school and discovers that um, that uh, he can make a good living and discovers later that he said most of the guys I went to school with probably have no fear of God, no understanding of who Jesus Christ is. They're here to get a degree so, so they can have a church and have a good income. So Mueller's life wasn't pleasant. He was a kid who had a difficult background. He had, he had a difficult life, difficult parent situation. And a lot of the kids we deal with today, a lot of the kids I deal with in, in, in the YFC world that we're trying to work with in the foster care thing, it's hard. These kids have hard backgrounds, hard lives. Life is not pretty. But just like God can take a George Mueller, as we're going to discover in just a few moments how he changed much of the face of Christian history through a kid who was imprisoned for thievery. 
and had a mother he didn't care about, spent her death day intoxicated as a kid, God can take him and change the world. And I'm convinced out of the 400 plus foster kids in Floyd County, there's one or two that God would love to make a display of his grace, a portent, a display, a sign of God's goodness and use them to change the world. These kids Tom's ministering to through on YDC, I have no doubt God wants to take some of these kids and make them a display of his grace and his goodness and his might and his power. Just like he did in the life of George Mueller. Mueller saw the Great Awakening of 1859, which he said, and this is his own words, led to the conversion of hundreds of thousands. He spent most of his life in Bristol, England. He pastored the same church in Bristol for 66 years. Um, his church was very unconventional. And one of the reasons I like this guy is because having discovered him this past year, I have found there are a lot of similarities between us and him, he and I. And I think, I don't think that's a mistake. I think God sent this guy to me at the right time. Somebody handed me something about him. I read it, listened to something about him and fell in love with the guy. And so you're going to see some individual things about us and him that are very similar. It's very unconventional. They were an independent church. Their eschatology is more premillennial. Um, they were a Calvinistic Reformed Baptist church that looked, that took the Lord's Supper weekly. Um, and they admitted into membership non-baptized believers. So if you were from a background, say infant baptism, they would admit you into membership without having you undergo baptism. And so, very unconventional. A.T. Pearson, who wrote a biography uh, on George Mueller, it's a matter of fact, the only biography written by somebody that is basically said the okay and had the okay given to it by his family. He's got him A.T. Pearson, A-T-P-I-E-R-S-O-N, A.T. Pearson. Pearson said he devised large and liberal things for the Lord's cause. Pearson said this guy's heart was so big for the kingdom, his heart was so big for people that he put together as many large and big-hearted things as he could to involve as many people as he could. He sought not to partition out any. So if he could include you in the kingdom, he would. And if that meant, you know, I believe in believer's baptism, but you know what? If you're a good Presbyterian, and you, you know, come in. He was good with that. He wanted people to be involved in the kingdom, and he devised large and liberal things for the Lord's cause. In 1834... He founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. And the Scripture Knowledge Institute had five ministries, and here they are. And I think it's very interesting. He operated all five ministries. You know, we live in an age of specialization, and we live in an age where in the ministry world we do one thing, and, and we try to focus on one thing, not George Mueller. He was the pastor of this church. He operated the Scripture Knowledge Institute. The Scripture Knowledge Institute had five ministries that he operated. One was schools for children and adults to teach the Bible. Number two, Bible distribution. They distributed the Scriptures to as many people as they could. Number three, missionary support. They raised funds to support missionaries. And as a matter of fact, he was the one who supported and influenced and taught Hudson Taylor about what Hudson Taylor would do in missions. If you've read Hudson Taylor, anybody even know who that is? Hudson Taylor's style of missions was influenced by George Mueller. So as a matter of fact, if you're a Hudson Taylor fan and you're into Christians in history, you will find out today who it was that funded him and taught him on his style of missions. Number four, tract and book distribution. And number five, and this is the one he's most known for, was to board 
And these are his words to board, clothe and scripturally educate destitute children who have lost both parents by death. That's how he defined orphan. He was known for his care and love for orphans. Uh, his work that he accomplished in this was significant. I'm going to read you a quote from his own words. As of May 1868, so it's 30 years before he'll pass away, these are his words from dust and ashes as to what they've accomplished to May 1868. He says, Above 16,500 children or grown-up persons were taught in the various schools, entirely supported by the Scripture Knowledge Institute. More than 44,500 copies of the Bible and above 40,600 New Testaments, and above 20,000 other smaller portions of the Holy Scriptures in various languages were circulated from the formation of the Scripture Knowledge Institute up to May 26, 1868. And about 31 millions of tracts and books, likewise in several languages, were circulated. There were likewise, from the commencement, Missionaries, assisted by the funds of the institution, and of late years, more than 120 in number. Also, 2,412 orphans were under our care and five large houses. With regard to the spiritual results, eternity alone can unfold them. Yet, even so far as we have already seen fruit, we have abundant cause for praise and thanksgiving. And by the way, I think it's important that you understand that this was accomplished from a man who, as soon as he got married to his wife in their 20s, they gave up their salary. He put a box at the back of the church and determined that he wanted to be a display of God's grace. And I'll talk about this in a second, that he would no longer ask people for money. But he wanted to show that God was faithful and he could talk to God and God would answer. And he could become a display and a confidence builder for the lives of Christians to see that they can trust God. They can pray. He hears and he answers prayer. All of this accomplished by a man who did not ever ask for a dime. George Mueller is known for his care for orphans. He built five large orphan houses and he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations. Now listen to this. There were accommodations for 3,600 orphans total in the whole country of England. And there were over 7,000 at the time of children under the age of eight in prison. Want those numbers to soak in. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations for 3,600 orphans total in the whole country. So when he started, there was only room in the whole country of England for 3,600 orphans. And at that time, there were over 7,000 children under the age of eight in prison because there's nothing else to do with them. One of the great effects of his life was that he would become an inspiration to other people. So that by the time 50 years had elapsed... And his work was accomplished. There were over 100,000 orphans cared for in England. Not all by him, but because of his influence, many people jumped on board and started serving. He did all of this work while preaching three times a week at his church from 1830 to 1898. And you do some math there, you'll get over 10,000 times this man preached while he accomplished these five ministries. At the age of 70, this is fun. This is my favorite George Mueller fact. At the age of 70... He fulfilled a lifelong dream for missionary works. He wanted to be a missionary. And he was going to be appointed by the London Missionary Society. But he fell out of favor with them because he didn't agree with their strategy. He didn't agree with their eschatology. He, he, he had some very distinct, kind of off 
beliefs and some things. And, and, and there are places where he's a little strange. And you read some stuff, you're like, oh, I don't know, man. And, but he, he's kind of off. And so he disagreed with him. He didn't believe in going into debt for anything. And he didn't want to follow the London Missionary Society strategy. If they wanted to go into debt to do missions, he said, I'm not going to be a participant in that. He was disgusted with what at the time was modernity and what we would refer to as liberalism as far as theological issues were concerned. And so he fell out of favor with the London Missionary Society and he never got to go to the foreign mission field. That's one of the reasons he supported other missionaries like Hudson Taylor. But at the age of 70, he fulfilled a lifelong dream. And here's what he did. At the age of 70, for 17 years until he was the age of 87, he traveled to 42 countries and he preached on average of one time a day to some 3 million people. Now, at the age of 70 in the States, we're retiring to play golf and waste the rest of our lives doing nothing that matters. This man at the age of 70 decided it's time to fulfill my dream. And he preached in over 42 countries on an average of one time a day to over 3 million people. From the end of his travels in 1892, he was 87 when he returned, until his death of March 1898, he preached in his church and worked for the Scripture Knowledge Institute again. Um, he led a prayer meeting on the evening of, of March 9th, 1898 at his church. And uh, I, I love the way he goes home. He led a prayer meeting on that evening, and the following morning they found him dead by his bed. So he got to go out leading a prayer meeting, the last known thing he did. The funeral was held the following Monday in Bristol. And this is a quote by A.T. Pearson. Tens of thousands of people reverently stood along the route of the simple procession. Men left their workshops and offices. Women left their elegant homes or humble kitchens, all seeking to pay a last token of respect. A thousand children gathered for a surface at Orban House Number 2. They had now lost their second father. That's, that, that's, I want my life to count like that. Uh, I don't want to go out with a bank account that's full. Uh, I don't want to go out with, you know, with a great retirement plan and my children taken care of with money they didn't earn. Um, I, I want to go out penniless. I want to go out with people's lives having been radically transformed. Pointing the way to the one who made all that possible. You see, this man's life counted for something a lot greater than the American dream. <laughs> he had nothing. He gave up everything, a home. He lived with the orphans. And he went out having affected thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. So that on the day he died, tens of thousands of people reverently stood and watched the man who changed their world. That's the way I want to go out. He'd been married twice. To Mary Groves when he was 25. Uh, and they were married for 39 years. Now I want you to notice here. It, it's not like all of a sudden George Mueller decides in his 40s and 50s he hits a midlife crisis. It's time to jump up and do something with his life. They get married. They're, he's 25 years old. And at the age of 25, that's when he gave it all up. <laughs> 
He didn't wait till he was secure and had got his nest egg built up. 25. They determined to give up their salary, everything they own, put a box at the back and say, we will ask God, not people, for money. And he lived the rest of his life that way. So check this out. You don't have to be well established and full of resources to change the world. You just got to, number one, know who owns everything. Who is able to dispense it when he's ready. And know how he wants to dispense it. If you know those three things, you can change your world. Mueller knew them. He knew who it was. He knew it was King Jesus. He knew Jesus owned everything. And he knew if he sought Jesus' kingdom, Jesus would supply what he needed. So he's married, married to Mary Groves for 20 or 39 years. And then he was married after she passed away to Susanna Sanger. And they got married when he was 66, and they were married for 23 years. He preached Mary's funeral when he was 64, and he preached Susanna's funeral when he was 90 years old. So look at this man's life. So he did some amazing things. And he had a radical trust in God. So ask this question. What was it that caused this man's life to be like this? What was it that caused him to do this? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, what I believe affects what I do. That's kind of the way I'm wired. I think we're all that way. I just don't know that we've made the connection. What we really believe is what we do. We do what we value. And one of the things you see in Mueller's life is when you discover his theological foundation, you can see why he did what he did. Mueller was sick at one point, and he was sent to a place called Teenmouth to rest. And uh, as he went to Teenmouth to do his rest there, he was staying in a home with a man who was preaching at a chapel there in Teenmouth. And he never names who this guy is. He's an unnamed face in history. But for ten days he spent with this man, and this man uncovered for him what we in the Reform world would call the doctrines of grace. And Mueller said when he heard that from him, he hated them. And he called them devilish doctrines. He hated the doctrines of grace. Man, he despised Reformed theology. He thought it was awful. And he said that if this is true, I play no part at all in the awakening of people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All I can do is preach and trust Him to do it. And he said he hated that thought. But he goes on to say for the first four years of his ministry, he saw no fruit until he started embracing the reality that all he could do was serve and preach and trust and that the Lord would be the one who would awaken hearts. And he said, after that first four years, and I began to live my life in a different fashion, I saw God awaken the hearts of the unconverted. And so Mueller came to a place, his life where at a theological crossroads. And I'm not telling you this because I want you to be reformed. I don't really care, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter. The point is, God is big and He answers prayer. That was just Mueller's theological crossroads. But he had that experience, he had that crossroad, that crisis of faith. He embraced the thought that he could trust God with everything and he didn't have to produce. And it shaped his life. We can see some of the convictions that shaped his life in a message he preached at Mary's funeral, his first wife. They loved each other deeply. Uh, and he recalls in a quote I'm going to read to you here from Dustin Ashes how he strengthened himself during the face of Mary's death, the last hours they were together. This is how he strengthened himself, and this is his own word. The last portion of Scripture which I read to my precious wife was this. The Lord God, this is Psalm 84:11. The Lord God is a sun and shield. 
The Lord God will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've received grace. We are partakers of grace, and to all such He will give glory. I said to myself with regard to the latter part, no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I am myself a poor, worthless sinner. But I've been saved by the blood of Christ, and I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. And all this springs, as I've often said before, from taking God at His word and believing what He says. See, in the face of his wife's death, Mueller said this, If it is a good thing for me, if Psalm 8411 is true, if it is a good thing for me, God will raise her up. If it's not a good thing, he won't. And he took that scripture, he strengthened himself, and he came to the end and he said, My heart was at rest and I was satisfied with God. Can you live your life like that? Can you live your life and take the scriptures and allow them to affect your very approach to life. You see, Mueller went to great lengths to show that he wasn't a special person. Because if, if, if you could put him and tag him as special, as, as spiritually gifted to do this kind of thing, you'd ruin the whole aim and purpose of his life. And he went to great lengths to argue that he did not have the spiritual gift of faith. He went to great lengths to argue he had the grace of faith, and he distinguishes between the two. He would say the spiritual gift of faith is the gift that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians, like the gifts of healing or the gifts of tongues or whatever. He, you know, he said, I, I don't have a special gifting of faith. He said, all I have is the same gift you have, and it's the grace of faith that's granted to all of us in Christ. And that is simply to take God at His word. And so he argued vehemently, I do not have the special gifting to take God at His Word. I just have His Word just like you. And so he argued that people should see that what he did and what he participated in wasn't just special for him, but it was available to all of us. He maintained he had the grace of faith. And he sought to care for his ministry by asking God for money, not people, to prove a point. You see, he gave up his salary early in his ministry and he decided he'd only ask God and trust Him to provide the necessities. George Mueller believed that God is good and will not withhold good things from His people who ask. And he wanted to display his life as a reason for people, i.e. the church, to take God at His word. And here's how he states it. These are his words. The three chief reasons for establishing the orphan house are... And now here's, here's, he's explaining why the whole orphan thing. If you think George Mueller cared for orphans because orphans were important to him, that's not his chief reason. Orphans were important, but they weren't number one. Here's his reasons. I want you to listen to him. And he states explicitly that it is in this order. The three chief reasons for establishing the orphan house are, number one, that God may be glorified should He be pleased to furnish me with the means, and it's being seen that it is not a vain thing to trust Him, and that thus the faith of His children may be strengthened. His number one chief reason for choosing the orphans to care for 
was that when he asked God to care for them, God would and display to the Christian community that it is not a vain thing to trust God. He was a display of God's grace. Is your life a display of grace like that? Do you live your life in such a fashion that people can see that God is faithful? He did. Number two, the spiritual welfare of the fatherless and motherless children. And number three, their temporal welfare. George Mueller was grieved that so many Christians were, what he said, harassed and distressed on account of not trusting the Lord. This grace he had to trust the Lord and his grief... uh, and his grief that so many didn't take God's promises to heart shaped his entire life and ministry. And here's George Mueller's supreme passion to display with open proofs that God could be trusted with the practical affairs of life. Here's another quote from Mueller. It seemed to me best done by the establishing of an orphan house. It needed to be something which could be seen even with the natural eye. Now, if I, a poor man, simply by prayer and faith obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house, there would be something which, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God, besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted of the reality of the things of God. This, then, was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. The first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need, only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still, and He hears prayer still. Wow! He wanted to lead a life and a ministry in a way that proved God was real to believers as well as those who were unconverted. I don't know about you, but this man's life is a conviction to me. This man set his whole life up as a strategy to display the sovereign goodness of God. Now, I want to say to all of us today, I believe every one of us in this room are to be just like this. Not that we... Adopt his strategy. Mueller's not getting us, and his goal isn't to get you to do his strategy. His goal is for you to see that you can trust God to do the same things in you that God did in him. You choose your strategy. You pick your ministry. It, let it be the Rome YDC. Let it be foster care with Youth for Christ. Let it be celebrate recovery with John Barry back there. Let it be, let it be, let it be something. Let it, let it be something that's going on. Do something crazy. Sell your life to the kingdom. Do it. Put yourself out on a limb. Ask God, trust Him, and watch Him supply. That's what He's inviting us to do, is put ourselves out there to see God demonstrate His life, demonstrate that He's faithful in our lives. This man was uh, one that was satisfied and happy in God. This man was a man who found it was a pleasure to know Jesus Christ. This was a man who was happy to deny himself in order to see God show up and supply. He was happy to go without in order to be a blessing to somebody else. Mueller also found that his happiness came from the study of the Scriptures. Mueller found that if we are going to be a people that lives a life like this, it's going to come from a consistent ongoing study of the Scriptures. See, here's what Mueller found. Mueller found that if I do not study and read the Scriptures, I in my life cannot 
have a heart that is at peace and at rest with God. Mueller said it is through the study of the Scriptures that one becomes acquainted with Jesus Christ. It is through the study of the Scriptures that one gets to know God. It is through the study of the Scriptures that one gets to know His character and thereby have their mind and their heart affected by Him. Mueller said the best thing to do would read from the front to the back. And he would go on to say that it is best for you to start at the front and go to the back. Because he said, if you pick a chapter here and there, he says you dwarf yourself spiritually. Because you don't get to see what he called salvation history, the progression of revelation. You don't see God start here and work his way to conclusion. Mueller had the, the belief that the scriptures were inspired by God, not just in what they said, but in the way they were put together so that we could have a complete record of the history of God and the salvation of mankind. And he said, when we digest that from cover to cover, we get the complete story. And the complete story starts to affect how we think. It starts to affect how we live. And our confidence grows in God. Here's a man who said there were days. He's a pastor of a church. He's a leader of five different ministries. And he said there were days that I had to make sure my heart was satisfied with God first before I rose to work. He said my first and primary responsibility was to get my heart happy in God. And he said he did it daily by pouring over the Scriptures. I don't know about you, but there are moments in life where, where it's just difficult. There are moments in life where, where I'm trying to do something in the kingdom and I'm not seeing a way to get there. And all of the sudden, I remember, you know what, I haven't been, I haven't been in the Scriptures today. I haven't prayed today. And God in His goodness, I'll just happen to open to where I'm reading at that point where I happen to be. And God in His good providence just happened to have me at the place reading the thing that I needed to read that would get me over the hump, that would encourage me that day, cause me not to turn around and give up, but strengthen my heart and help me go on. Because I saw in the Scriptures, wow, God, you are faithful. Wow, you did show up there. You did do that. Wow, how did you know I needed that today, God? That was really cool. Wow, Holy Spirit, you must be real. You must really guide us into truth. You must really illuminate Scripture. God, wow, you're real. This isn't fake. This is good. And the next thing you know, you're in worship because God showed up. That's how this man lived his life. That's how he could be a pastor. That's how he could run five ministries. Because he had his heart set on God and he was captivated with Jesus Christ. That was his single-minded vision. And he wanted everybody to see that it's not just me. You can live like this too. That was Mueller's life. That's how he lived. That was his ministry. Here, here's, here's how he says in kind of pleading with people. He says, my dear Christian reader, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God? This way is open to you as to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust Him with all their heart, and to cast His burden upon Him, and to call upon Him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this, my dear brother in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of the state of heart in which, while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. What a gracious invitation to come and live a life that matters. 
I want to close the story of George Mueller. And by the way, I've only touched the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's, there's, there's a mound of stuff you can read. One, one of the places I would recommend that you go is, is, um, to this little book because it's easy. Dust and Ashes, unless you're a freak like me, um, is a little hard to read because it's kind of dry. I don't think it's boring, but it's dry. It's just facts, okay? It's statistics and facts. And, and, uh, but this is a good little book right here. It doesn't deal with any theology. It's just sort of the life. It's the autobiography of George Mueller. It's nothing but his diary entries. Um, it's print, printed by Whitaker House, and it's called The Autobiography of George Mueller. You can get this. Uh, I got this for $2.99 online. It's the best $2.99 you'll ever spend. Um, I'm going to read an entry from his journal uh, that I think will encourage you. Because uh, th- this his life is filled with this kind of stuff, and if you pick this up and read this, you you will walk away encouraged. Uh, he even goes to lengths to show in here how one grows their faith in God, and one of the ways he talks about is not rescuing yourself from trouble, which is which is a huge challenge to me. He said, if there's a difficulty, seek not to deliver yourself, but throw yourself on the good mercy of God and allow Him to deliver you. And he, this guy's not talking from an ivory tower. You're talking from a guy who's caring for 10,000 orphans, running the Scripture Knowledge Institute, pastoring a church, and not asking for money. <laughs> so if somebody knows how to let God deliver them, it will be him. And uh, here, here's an encouraging uh, entry from his journal. It says, on the 17th of, this is March 26th, on the 17th of this month, I received the following letter from a brother who had been used by the Lord several times to supply our need. And he's quoting from the letter here, I have received a little money. Do you have any present need for the institution under your care? I know you do not ask, except of him whose work you are doing. But to answer when asked seems to be a right thing to do. I have a reason for desiring to know the present state of your finances. If you do not need the money, other areas of the Lord's work or other people of the Lord may need help. Kindly inform me the amount you need at this present time. Close quotes. When this letter came, we were in need. Nevertheless, I answered it as follows. <laughs> and I cry here because I can't do this. Um, I'm not here. <laughs> and I'm challenged. Because, um, well, God hadn't called me to be George Mueller, so shut up, Jolly. Relax. While I thank you for your love, and while I agree with you that there is a difference between asking for money and answering with as he takes him to task for how he's even writing the letter. <laughs> While I agree with you that there's a difference between asking for money and answering when asked, nevertheless, I do not feel at liberty to speak about the state of our funds. I'd have been like, yes, we need 250000 now. Uh, the primary object of this ministry... He, he, he's, he's telling the guy, the primary object of this ministry is to lead those who are weak in faith to see that there is reality in dealing with God alone. <laughs> so he writes the guy and he says, I, I don't feel at liberty to tell you the state of our finances because our object, our object, our whole goal is to lead people weak in faith to see there's reality in dealing with God alone. So I can't tell you because that would violate my purpose. And then he says, after I sent off the answer, I prayed. (laughs) Lord, you know that for your sake I did not tell this brother about our need. Can you pray like that? I can't yet. For your sake, I didn't tell him about our need. 
Do you get what he's saying here? For your sake, Lord, I didn't tell him about our need. Why would it be for the Lord's sake for him not to tell him about our need? So that God could speak to the man about their need and give. And then people see that God sees and answers. I did not tell this brother about our need. Now, Lord, here's his prayer. Now, Lord, show afresh that there is reality in speaking to you only about our need. Speak to this brother so that he may help us. So he goes and sticks Jesus on this guy. Today, in answer to my request, this brother sent 100 pounds. <laughs> I now have money for establishing the infant school and for ordering more Bibles. Also, the orphans are again supplied for a week. There is much need. And, 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 if, and if, if we're in a bubble, and God, I know I've talked too long. I always do that. Um, there's much need. If you live in the Christian bubble that we like to live in, where everything's rosy and we're worried about our building fund and we're worried about making life more plush and, and good for us, we can't see need like that. You know? When, when we're determining strategy and need by an internal look, we, we can't live like that. But when we look outside where the kingdom is not, and we start to take a hard glance at that, that, there, that there are kids right here in Floyd County locked up that may be in prison for life for sexual assault and battery, for theft. And if they get out, they're going to be in foster care and be another statistic in Floyd County. Or that students go to our campuses every day as teenagers, middle school students, and, and, and they have no access to the gospel because of separation of church and state, and, and they don't let youth pastors in to eat at the lunch table anymore, to talk. You just don't get to do that anymore. If we just come and we look internally and everything's good, we can't live a life like this. But if we take a look outside and see kingdom has come in me, and I'm called to be part of this new missionary force, and I'm going to go and I'm going to make a difference, and we go and we live our lives like this, there will be points, if we'll write it down, we can have testimony of God showing up and at the right time supplying what we need to make a difference. Whether it be a timely word for a kid whose life has fallen apart, or whether it be a timely set of funds to keep somebody in a home and them not being homeless. Whatever the case may be, wherever we're seeking to bring the kingdom, when we look out to bring the kingdom and we live our life in a fashion that will display the sovereign goodness of God, God will show up and we will be living displays like David and like George Mueller of God's good grace. And I want you to hear this. That can be you as much as Mueller. It can be you as much as me. He's not special. He just died. And we get to read about Him. One day I'm going to die. And God willing, God will do something in me that somebody can read about and see the sovereign goodness of God. And I want your goal to be that I die and I don't leave some great inheritance, but I die and people say, look how God used His life. Look how God used her life. When we start to live our lives like this, we will change our world. That's why Acts is so important. Because this little band of the way 
who got Jesus and understood the gospel started changing their world so that Acts 17, 6 happens. Those people who've turned the world upside down have come here too. That's what I want them to say about us. If we live our life like that, we can do that. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. As we're reading and studying through that, that's what it's all about. Is that we adopt the Jesus mentality and we live like Jesus lived. And we will change our world. Father, you're good. And I give praise to you today for your goodness. And Lord, forgive me for talking too long. Father, my heart is hungry to see a bunch of crazy people turn away from what has been and run to what can be in Your kingdom. That that we would be about being Jesus. That we would be about bringing the good news. We would be about loving somebody who needs to be loved. We would be about healing brokenness Father I feel like I didn't even touch I didn't even get to stuff so God I should have to trust you to do something today this man's life is a display of grace as David's life was a display as you were his rock and refuge you were for Mueller and Father you are for us it hasn't changed you You are still the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can supply today just as much as you did in David's day and as you did in Mueller's day. So, Father, help us to take You at Your Word. And, Father, if in any way the Word is lacking in our heart, teach us to hide it deeply that we might walk strongly. Father, I ask that you move in the hearts of your people and inspire great acts of service. That's my prayer this morning, Father. That through this man's life, because of what your Scriptures produced in him, you would inspire great acts of service from this body. Father, may this body be known not because we have a large building or because we're opulent and have cool stuff or guy's bald with a goatee or you know any God I don't want any junk like that may we be known because we participate in bringing your kingdom in great acts of service that display you as good may people see you may people savor you may people come and bow down and worship Jesus and let us be hidden behind you We want them to see you, Jesus. So I ask you today, inspire great acts of service of the kingdom from this body today. And Father, I ask today that you would speak fresh things into the heart of your people. New things in the heart of your people to go and do. Would you awaken passions that are dormant in the hearts of your people today that they didn't realize were there for something bigger than themselves that they would give their lives away to it. Like Mueller gave his life away. I'm asking you to do that today, Lord. I ask you, do not let us go to what we know as default, but awaken new, fresh passions for your kingdom today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. This is our response time. And
It's going to be short because I, my fault, talked too long. But what we believe is we respond to God's invitation. And we want to see the Scriptures. We want to see the Lord's Supper. We want to see His grace in the lives of other people. And we want to respond to that. And so Chris is going to lead us in just a moment musically, the musical aspect of worship. And I want to challenge you. Respond as the Lord might lead you today. Respond in obedience. Respond in song. Respond in prayer. But by all means, do respond.